Hey, we're going to get right into this. Uh, this is part five called The Meaning of Your Life, this series that we've been doing, going through the book of Ecclesiastes, seeing what Solomon has to say. But today, I want to call this message The Power of Friendship. The Power of Friendship. How many of you are sitting next to a friend right now? Yeah? Look to your left and right. How many uh, sitting next to somebody? No, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> the fact that friends are so important in our life. Two men who are best friends had an argument, got into a quarrel. One slapped the other one. The one that got slapped got down on the knees and wrote in the sand. My friend, my best friend slapped me today. They continued walking on the journey. They came upon a lake. They decided to take a swim. They were swimming. The one who was slapped began to drown. His friend saved him, pulled him to the shore his friend who had been slapped, who had been saved, knelt down and began to write on stone. My best friend saved me today. His friend asked him, he said, hey, why did you write in sand that I slapped you? Why did you write in stone that I saved you? He said, because when somebody hurts you, you write it in sand so the wind can erase it and you can forget about it. But when somebody does something good to you, you write it in stone so you'll never forget. Let me tell you something. We are blessed if we have friends in our life that are with us through the ups and the down, the good times and the bad, who will not walk out on us, who will not leave us when things don't go so perfect. Friendship is a sacred thing. It shouldn't be taken lightly. Now, here in America, we kind of throw that word friend around so quickly. You know, you meet somebody two times and they're your best friend. And, you know, using friend on all of the social media apps, I think it has skewed really what friendship is all about. But in the Hebrew culture where Jesus was born and grew up, the friendship was a covenant relationship. It was more like a brother-like bond. And even in the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon, uh, when we read about the story of Solomon and his wife, their meeting, their courtship, their marriage, in that book, right in the middle of the book, chapter 5, verse number 16, it says, this is my beloved, this is my friend. My wife is my beloved. Put that scripture right up there for me there. Song of Solomon, do we have it? There we go. This is my beloved, this is my friend. Starla is my beloved, but she's also my friend, this should be the relationship goal of every single marriage here today, that your spouse is not just your beloved, but also your friend. Can I get an amen? amen. And that's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on friendship here today for the next few moments, doing life together, listening to one another, making memories, taking care of each other, forgiving one another. That can all be summed up in this word, friendship. And if husbands and wives, you want to make your marriage last, then you've got to make sure that you become great friends. Because none of us were created to do life alone. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be married, but we weren't created to do life alone. We were created to be a part of a tribe, a part of a family, a part of a community, a part of a, a, a church. An ecclesia is what the, the, he, the Greek word for church. It's a body. It's, it's people from different, uh, different backgrounds all coming together to make one. We are called to do this life together. So if you kind of go with me on what Solomon has been saying over the last few uh, chapters and the last few weeks that we've covered, he starts out with his journey to try to figure out what the purpose of life is, what the meaning of life is. And he begins by deciding everything's meaningless. I mean, he's got a really bad attitude about life. Everything is meaningless. We hear that over and over and over again. And then he starts bringing out some of the objections that we can have to what God is doing in our life. But then he gets to this 
this vital component of handling life's challenges, and it's called friendship. Friendship is what helps us in life's challenges. And Solomon's going to show us not only our need for friends, but he's going to show us what kind of friends we should have in our life. So let's look at it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 7. It says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. He's still having a bad day. But look, look at verse number 8. It says this. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, meaning he had plenty of work. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So I want you to notice here, here's a guy. He's alone. He has no son, no brother. He's got plenty of work and plenty of wealth, but is still not content. He has not found satisfaction in life. He's not found purpose in life. He goes on, says, for whom am I toiling? I mean, who am I working for? Why am I doing all this? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? He's not finding enjoyment. He's not finding contentment in working and in wealth. Well, I would think that ought to satisfy anybody. I got a good job. I'm getting paid well. That ought to make me happy. But it's clear this man is not happy. He's being deprived of enjoyment. He says this too is meaningless, a miserable business. So here's the first thing that I think Solomon is saying is number, number one, friendship brings meaning to success. Friendship brings meaning to our success or our achievements. It brings success or meaning to all of the things that we accomplish in our life. Because when we accomplish those things alone, it's just not the same. Let me explain it like this. Let's say I went to play golf by myself. And I go out on the golf course and I come up to a par three, 180-yard hole. Uh, I tee off. And because I'm, I'm not so good, I got I to gotta have all the iron I can get. So these are the golfers. I got to have, I go with a five, okay? That's going to maybe get me to the green. So I, I hit that ball. The cup or the hole where the ball goes in is on the backside of the green, so I can't see it. So I hit the ball. It goes to the green. It rolls over the green. Okay, sitting pretty good. Get in my little cart, and I run up to the, drive up to the green. I get out, get my putter, and walk over the slope of the green, and I can't find my ball. So I know I go to the rough, the higher grass, because that's where my ball usually is. So I go there looking for the ball and I, I can't find it anywhere. But then all of a sudden this crazy thought pops in my head. What if? What if it's in the hole? I know, I know you're unlikely, right? Improbable, next to impossible. But what if it's in the hole? What if it actually went in the hole? Now I'd be foolish to not actually go look before I take a drop and continue play. So I walk over there nervously and I look inside the hole. Boom. The ball is in the hole. What have I just done? Hit a hole in one. So I turn around to high five. No one. I turn around to chest bump. No one. I look for somebody. Anybody? Nobody. That's kind of a discouraging feeling. So I, I take a picture of the ball in the hole. You know what it looks like? A ball in a hole. It doesn't prove that I hit a hole in one. So I take a selfie. That proves absolutely nothing, except that I'm an idiot. 
That achievement, let's say that achievement is our work. That achievement, that accomplishment has no real meaning unless it's shared with somebody else. Having somebody else there takes that experience to a whole nother level. It, it makes that experience worth experiencing. To do it alone was so discouraging, so defeating. And I think what Solomon is telling us here is that he says that it doesn't really make sense to work so hard and have no one to share it with. He said, I, this man, I, I got plenty of work. I got plenty of money but I'm still not content with that. And that's really the temptation that we have today. And that is putting our work and putting our career over our relationship. Now, listen, I'm not encouraging you to quit your job and join a commune, okay? We don't want to do that. But I think that it's a warning for us that if we put our work above everything else, we won't have anyone to share it with. We won't have uh, successes to share with. We won't have anything to share with somebody else. Now, I believe that we are driven to work. I think there's something inside most normal human beings that want to work, want to accomplish, want to achieve things. Because in Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. God put us or put Adam in the garden to work it. So to work is something that's good. Can I hear you say good? Say work is good. Okay, all right, work is good. Work is good. Now, I know some Think, well, no, no, work is the curse. That's the curse of sin. It's the curse of the fall of man. No, they said our work would be burdensome. It would be toilsome. Yes, yes, it's toilsome. But work is good, always has been, always will be. God gave us work, and work in part gives purpose to each one of us. It gives meaning to our lives. Now, we shouldn't only find our identity just in our work, but it's part of our purpose and part of our meaning and part of our fulfillment in life. My nephew was a substitute teacher at a high school in Houston in a low income area. And he was so frustrated at the kids not wanting to learn. They had no desire to learn. And he just, he just finally stopped class and he said, hey guys, tell me, why don't you want to work? I'm sorry, why don't you want to learn? And they said, why? Said, so you can get an education. Why? So you can graduate from high school. They said, why? So you can get a job. They said, why? So you can have money to buy things, to, you know, buy your food and your clothes and your, uh, to pay your rent. They said, why? We get that from welfare. Why do we need, if we need extra money, we'll just sell drugs. That was the attitude of this particular class. They hadn't had instilled inside of them the value of work and the purpose and the joy and the achievement that work brings us. God gave us work to help us have meaning, to help us have purpose, but he also gave us work to enjoy so that we can share the blessing of our work with others. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. The same man that I mentioned last week that we met on the Kilimanjaro hike who said he was, must have been a priest in a former life because he liked hiking alone. This guy he also said something that was very, very sad. He said that I'm spending my parents' money. My, my parents passed their money down to me. And then I also my own money. He said, I, I, I worked until I retired. And he said, I'm spending my money because I have no one to leave my money to. And then he said this. He said, in fact, there's no one at home missing me right now. Isn't that a sad way to live? 
I mean, you can travel the world, you can climb the mountains, you can do all these things, but you do it alone. There's no one missing you, no one who's a part of your life. Friendship brings meaning to our success or meaning to our accomplishments in life. That's why we need to be part of a body, part of a family, part of a tribe, part of a people that gets you. Look at somebody say, I get you. Come on, look at somebody say, I get you. I know you don't really get them, especially if it's a husband looking at their wife, you know, but we can pretend. Okay, Ecclesiastes, look at verse number nine. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor or a good reward for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. And look at this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So here's the second thing I think Solomon is saying is number two, friendship is mutually beneficial, meaning it should benefit both people. It's benefiting for both. In the end, both must win. So let me ask you a question. How many would be honest enough to say right now that you think you are in, it may not be anybody here today, but you are in a relationship that is 100% completely one-sided. You're the one who does all the giving, all the sacrificing. You're the one who makes uh, every, all the effort. You're, you're in a one-sided relationship. Let me see. Okay. There's a few. You know, you don't have to be in that relationship. I mean, if you're married to them, okay, we can, we can set you up for marital counseling. But outside of marriage, you don't have to be in that relationship. A real friendship should be mutually beneficial. Let, let me kind of explain it like this. Most dads uh, have experienced this before, that when you're the, the wife, the mom, is down for the count, she's sick, you know, that you know, once-in-a-lifetime thing when they're down, and dad takes on the role of Mr. Mom. And we know it's a disaster waiting to happen, but here's how it usually goes. You're, you're, you have the responsibility as Mr. Mom. You have the responsibility for cooking, cleaning, and caring for the children. Most importantly, caring for the children. Uh, so we get our kids up in the morning, we get them dressed, and we don't even notice that they're wearing the same clothes they wore yesterday, and they're just wrinkled and dirty, and they stink now. But you miss that because you're busy uh, preparing the gourmet breakfast of two options of cereal, Captain Crunch or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And uh, you make that available for your kids or you drive them through the donut shop on the way to school and, and you get them to school and then you come back and you try to take care of your wife and you, you prepare something to eat, which only makes her sicker. And uh, th then you try to get some work done. So you're trying to, cause you still got a job. So you're trying to work and whether it's going away to work or you're trying to work online at home, you get some work done. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm supposed to pick the kids up. <laughs> it's five o'clock. Oops. Uh, so you go get the kids, you bring them back home and you know, and you fix them dinner and it's probably a frozen pizza, but who doesn't love frozen pizza, right? So you get them the frozen pizza and then, then you start getting them ready for bed. And at that point, you know, bath and brushing the teeth, that's all optional. You just want to get them to bed. You get them to bed and then you try to check on your wife and take care of her, make sure she has what she needs. And then you have a few minutes of alone time. And what do you do in those few minutes of alone time? You go to your laptop, yeah, you go to your laptop and you start searching for experimental drugs to get your wife better, faster. I know it's a little crazy, but that's kind of the way it's like for a dude who's trying to do both jobs. We know the women can do both jobs, no problem. But why, why does this uh, seem so impossible? Because this pace was never intended to be done alone. 
God intended for a husband and wife to do that together, for mom and dad to do that together. And he points out the benefits of two being better than one. And then he gives us the real power behind marriage or friendship that makes all the difference. And he says, a threefold cord cannot be broken. Well, what's that? That's when the husband and wife or the friends have Jesus right in the middle of it. That cannot be broken. That's what, Jesus, that's what Solomon is saying. And then he goes on and he says, and two people have reward for their labor. Reward for their labor because it's hard work. Any relationship is hard work. Marriage is hard work. I mean, I caught Starla looking at our marriage license the other day and she's looking, I said, what are you looking for? She said, I'm looking for the expiration date. It's gotta be on here somewhere. Uh, it's not on there. There was a couple that was married for 60 years. 60 years, they had no secrets between themselves except for one thing. She had a shoebox in the closet. He was forbidden to open. She's laying on her deathbed and she finally says, honey, bring the shoebox. I gotta tell you what's in the shoebox. She brings the shoebox or he brings the shoebox to her and opens it up and there's this little crochet doll and $95,000 of cash. I said, honey, what is this? She said, I need to confess. My mother told me the secret to a happy marriage is to never argue that whenever I think you're wrong or I'm mad at you, just to be quiet and crochet a doll. His heart was touched. He thought in 60 years of marriage, she has only been mad at him. Thought he was wrong one time, one crochet doll. He said, but what's the $95,000 in cash? She said, that's from selling all the crochet dolls. <laughs> Right, look, we know if you've been married more than a weekend, you know that marriage is hard. Relationship is hard. But Solomon said it's worth it because there's a reward for the labor. There's a reward for the work of making a friendship work, making a marriage work. What is that? Well, he points out a couple of things that when one falls down, the other one is there to pick you up. And who hasn't fallen down a time or two? Who hasn't needed somebody to pick you up and to encourage you when you've blown it, when you have fallen face first? We all have. There's the benefit of having somebody in your life that will pick you up when you're down, that will encourage you, that will speak words of life rather than words of discouragement. In fact, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is the power of a person's influence in your life and the influence that you can have in somebody else's life. So friendship, it should be mutually beneficial. Let's look at verse 13 as we start wrapping this up. Worship team, you guys come back. It says, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to kingship or may have been born in poverty within the kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, just a sea of people. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I'll tell you what I think Solomon is saying, then I'll kind of explain it a little bit. Number three, I think Solomon is saying friendship is greater than popularity. See, I think this is relevant to where we are today because Popularity is when everyone knows you, but friendship is when a few people know you but love you. The challenge that we have in our culture today is that everybody wants to be popular. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants to get noticed. 
but yet we're becoming more isolated, more lonely than ever before because we're not doing the right things to build healthy relationships. You can't build strong, healthy relationships, the kind that are going to be there for you in the dark times of your life. You can't do that on Instagram alone. You need face-to-face. You need the friends. You need the body. You need one another. And that's what Solomon says. You can be king over a sea of people, but they're not going to rejoice when you're gone because they knew of you, but didn't really know you. You need people who know you. I think Solomon here was probably talking about his father and King Saul. King Saul was that king that uh, the old foolish king who was on the throne before Solomon's father, David, who was the poor wise youth. And when Saul was gone, no one mourned him because everybody's cheering the new king. Now, listen, the path to popularity and the path to real friendship are different paths. and You got to choose which one you're going to take because a real friend will stay with you no matter what. The crowd is only interested when you're at your best, but a friend loves you at your worst. And who hasn't had bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years? Who hasn't had some of those seasons where we just didn't have it all together? Friends will be with you in those times. The crowd, they're only interested in you when you've got something to offer them. And listen, I know this. I know this. You you know it. But I can remember walking through the darkest time of my life about 19 years ago and walking out of ministry and hanging it up and, and laying it aside when I had nothing to offer, had no position, had no status. I had nothing. That's when I found out who my real friends were. The crowd, they're with you as long as you entertain them. The friends, they'll be with you even at your worst. Somebody asked me recently, what, what did I think freedom did significant? What did, what did freedom, what does freedom as a church do that's maybe different than others? And I, I don't know if it's really all that different, but it's definitely significant. And I said, I believe that freedom is a safe place for imperfect people to come and find a healing and restoration. Can I get an amen? It's a safe place for imperfect people to come and get reconnected with Christ. And I lead with that. I'm the most imperfect of us all. But I believe that's why Freedom Church exists. Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So how do we choose right friends? Let me give you real quickly as I wrap up, just a couple minutes here. How do we choose right friends? Number one, you got to choose friends who make you better. People who make you better. Now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be people in your life that you're helping out. I believe that God gives us two hands. One, to hook, them, hook onto somebody to pull you up and another one for you to hook onto somebody to bring them up. I believe that's the way the tug and pull and the give and take of life should be. But you need to choose friends who make you better. Those who bring out the best in you. Those who can see the good in you. Those who want to pursue what is right and what is holy. Proverbs twenty two eleven says, one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. You need to be a person who speaks with grace into people's lives. When you see them on a misstep, you see them missing the mark, you see them not really at their best, speak with words of grace. You need to be that kind of a friend. But then secondly, you need to choose friends who live out, a God, who live out godly wisdom. Choose friends who will pursue God more than anything else. People who think the way you do. People who love God the way you do. People who talk the way you do. Proverbs 27, 9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, 
and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. You know, someone said that you are an average of the five people you spend the most time with. Think about who you spend the most time with. That's probably who you're going to be. If you don't like who you are, you might need to change the friends you're hanging around. Because they're probably helping form you and shape you. But then here's the last thing. Number three, choose the friend who won't ever leave you. And I'm talking about Jesus. Choose the friend who will be with you no matter what. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said in Proverbs 18, 24, he's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the friend you need to have with you. And I'm confident of this, that when you choose that friend, you, when you make Jesus the center of your life, you know what he does? He brings other people into your life that you need. My word for this year is new or that Hebrew word fresh out of Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing and I believe God is doing something new. I believe he's doing something new in me and I believe he's doing something new you. But as I kind of pair that word with this message today, I believe that God is getting ready to create new pathways and new relationships for you. And even some of you that are watching online, God is opening up new doors of opportunity that will bring you in connection with new people. I don't want to sound like a fortune cookie saying new is on, you know, the horizon for you today. But I just believe God is getting ready to do something new in you. And if you will embrace it, you'll get ready for it. Get ready. There's some new forms of income that are coming your way. There are some new dreams that are coming your way. There's some new people that are coming into your life, new voices of inspiration into your life. Don't turn it away. Don't reject it. Don't miss it. Embrace it. Get ready. Because I really, truly believe the best is yet to come. But you've got to make Jesus your best friend, the center of your life. And when you do that, he's going to help you connect with the people that you need to get where he wants you to be. He'll help you be the friend that you need to be. But you know what I also feel? There are some that are in this room today that you are carrying the wounds of a friend. And what I, not, not, their problem. It's, it's your problem. You've been wounded by a friend. You've been scarred by a friend. You've been betrayed by a friend. You've been hurt by a friend. And because of that, you don't have the ability right now to trust again, to love again, to believe again. You live guarded. And because of that, you're missing out on some of the new things that God is trying to provide for you. You live guarded and you're missing it. And what God is saying, what I hear him so clearly saying right now is that when you will trust him, when you trust him to heal that heart, you can trust again, you can believe again, you can love again, and it'll take you the places where God has prepared for you. Don't miss out on what he's prepared for you because you've been wounded. God wants to heal you of that wound today. God wants to heal you and restore you today. And I believe you walk out of here changed. 